Hello and welcome to the Thor. I can't say thrilling. Wait, I'm I sure you thr- said that for three. You must yeah, have. I must have because what else is there to say? The th- what's the thoracic nerve? Uh, That's a part I know. of your body for sure. You're married to a <laughs> I doctor. Know. Bugs have thoraxes. <laughs> okay. We're on the right track for sure. I think sure. That that's their their back section. Oh, okay. They have so like three on. sections, right? Ants. So your theory is that ants. <laughs> <laughs> they have the abdomen, the thorax, and uh, dot, 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 the head. Yes. The abdomen is, of course, famously the bottom part. What? I thought the abdomen was famously the middle part. The thorax is the middle. Huh. Anyways, the thoracic nerve appears to be in your arm slash shoulder. Okay. There you go. Um, is this anything thoracic park? Uh, <laughs> maybe I'm in a, need maybe a little. It's, it's certainly not <laughs> something in so far as <laughs> a one line pitch that sells itself. If someone said like I tore my thoracic nerve or whatever, and I said thoracic park, then maybe. Yeah. Okay. So this is, of course, the thoracic 13th episode. Ooh, scary. Do you hear the chiming of the clocks? No. <laughs> is that something? Oh, oh, because it's the 13th episode, so it's spooky? Yes. Um, but I, I was thinking, I was conflating the clock chiming midnight, the witching hour, with the clocks chiming 13, which I believe is the opening line to 1984. <laughs> Oh, you, it's been quite a while since I read 1984. You're suspiciously so silent you. on this matter. <laughs> I, I think you're wrong, but I'm not 100. What? Okay, I will. I'm I'm looking this up right now. 1984 opening line. Oh, you're right. It was a bright, cold day in April. Of course, we all remember that from Splinter Cell. Uh huh. <laughs> the clocks were striking 13. Well, right. well, well. You win. You get to <laughs> sing the "I Was Right" song in accordance with family tradition. Oh, one day I will. I'll provide the lyrics now. I was right and you were wrong. I'm going to sing the I was right song. Repeat. Yeah. <laughs> big repeat on that one. <laughs> Just hit the double click the repeat thing. So it's the repeat with the one over top. So it plays the same track over and over. Of course, uh, we are ankle deep in our series on the work of Brian K. Vaughn. This is Got the Runs, of course. I was about to say, here's a, here's a real question. <laughs> oh, How yeah, finally. Do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the one that's been puzzling philosophers for generations how important is it to introduce a show that people have to look up <laughs> in order to listen to or presumably says the name before they ever engage with any of the audio i think the idea i think we're sort of reinforcing the brand right in people's a strong heads. brand yeah what, what would brand. you say is your brand my brand <laughs> yeah well, someone recently, <laughs> someone recently described me as goofball son, horny moon, <laughs> <laughs> which I liked so much. I'm repeating it now. Uh huh. And what would you say my brand is? Goofball son, just a just a dolt moon. <laughs> Need to bring back calling people dolts. Uh huh. Um, someone was telling me the other day that they were watching an episode of Frasier, and Frasier calls Niles or vice versa a simp. <laughs> it was a show ahead of its time 
<laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm going to send you a tweet later about Fraser Day. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, now, which one of them do you think is more of a sim? Oh, that's a good question. I, I think I have to go Niles. I've only seen like five episodes of yeah, Fraser. Yeah, I'm not well-versed in Fraser either, despite my incredible impression. <laughs> and we're going to hear that right now. Hello, Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's not what Fraser sounds like. This is what Fraser sounds like. <laughs> Hello, Seattle. <laughs> uh... And he is famously listening. But I think, yes, I, wait, I feel like we've talked about this before, and also we always misquote Frasier. I did, I did previously allude to my Frasier impression, but didn't do it. I believe that he never actually says, hello, Seattle, based on the yarn search I've done several times to try and send you a clip That's of Frasier more of an saying, owl hello, city Seattle. move. Right. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> who's more of a Sim Niles or Frasier? Um, isn't... <laughs> <laughs> just to get back, I just just to get back that on we track. We were discussing that. <laughs> I isn't a. I believe a significant part of Fraser is about Niles being in love with Daphne, who is their Irish housekeeper. There being Fraser and his father, mm-hmm. whose name I remember, Mar- Martin Martin Crane. And so I would have to say, assuming that my recollection is true, that that would make Niles far more of a simp. I don't know what Frazier's love life is like. Doesn't doesn't Niles... I thought Niles famously had a wife who never appears on screen. Well, we, yes, we all remember Maris. Now, good night, Seattle. <laughs> the <laughs> last episode. The finale? There you go. Oh, Frazier has a... Frazier's girlfriend is Laura Linney? Good for you, Frazier. One day we'll do a big uh, Frasier watch through and uh, and we'll know the answer to all of these questions. Well, that's going to be the Patreon. <laughs> right. It's all it's all commentaries on Frasier. Physically weak and very uncoordinated, Niles is seemingly hopeless at sports and video games. <laughs> video games? <laughs> He's uncoordinated. Niles play video game is what I'm searching <laughs> on Google right now. Okay. There is, okay, hold on. Well, I'm not going to harp on this any further, but there is a two minute, 25 second YouTube video titled Niles sucks at video games. <laughs> and there's also a, a Reddit thread called Frederick and Niles playing PS1. <laughs> and as you've all guessed, we're talking about why the last man... <laughs> I, would, I thought it was E, the last man, <laughs> like the French <laughs> pronunciation. I believe you're thinking of, oh no, is it is it French or Spanish that has E? I think it might be both, actually. I think Spanish has E for and. Right. Dolor y Gloria. France famously has Eeps. Sure. Eeps, me watching a scary movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you laughed. Uh, I did. You to I pay did your tragically penance. laugh. The tragically laugh. This is, of course, we're covering Why the Last Man, issues 16 through 31. Um, at first, I thought that you had made the classic mistake of not including the number in the correct number of issues, and so you didn't realize that we were doing 16 instead of 15, but it's actually a nice clean break point mm-hmm. at the end of issue 31, so good on you for that. I'm a genius. <laughs> Certainly. So we could jump right in. I mean... We have discussed on our previous episode the first fifteen issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so where? So yeah. So and we've of course teased heavily the cover for number sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we built a lot of anticipation for it. So yes, when we last left our heroes, 
this was the end of the uh, one small step thing. So, mm-hmm. so where are they headed at this point? They're headed to San Francisco. They are still going to San Francisco to Dr. Min's like backup lab, where she plans to do further testing and research to try and figure out what caused the plague that killed all the men, why York survived, and see if they can build from there to uh, ideally clone further men from him and protect future generations from succumbing to the same fate. Right. And Natalia, of course, is is back with the people in the hot suite and the pregnant astronaut, which Mm -hmm. we do get a bit of resolution on. I was realizing as I was reading through these issues that a lot of the things that we were confused about or skept- maybe a little skeptical of in the first 15 issues do get called back to to some extent. Just as an example, like we find out that <laughs> there's a reason that they make specific reference to the Trojan War. <laughs> Yes, the... As, the, as the disaster <laughs> that could happen if the amulet of Helene is taken out of Jordan. But yeah, so I mean, I guess considering he had his 60, 60 issue outline, maybe BKV knew what he was doing. Well, certainly I think all of the possible explanations offered for the plague he had in mind to some extent. Yes, certainly. Let's jump into comedy and tragedy, act one as it's listed here on the wiki that i'm referencing uh and it's called act one because of course this is a play and well, the it's reason... act one of two colon comedy right exactly and of course the reason we know it's a play is from the cover <laughs> <laughs> what's looks... on the cover just, just what is going on here yes just what is going on here and also i did notice in one of the issues there is like a zoomed in panel of someone saying what is going on here and I was like, oh, a reference to my famous segment. <laughs> um, it's done up to look like a playbill. So Why the Last Man is the classic black sort of cowboy looking font on a yellow background. Um, this issue is illustrated by Paul Chadwick, mm-hmm. best known for Concrete. Is that correct? Wow, look at you go. Did you, I, uh, did you research the, that or you recalled that? I read the first sentence of his Wikipedia page. Mm. Yeah, best known now based on my research for uh, vehemently decrying cryptocurrency on twitter as objectively evil object oh interesting objectively evil well we'll, chadwick we'll delve into those theories Mm -hmm. at the end of the show (laughs) (laughs) we'll grapple grapple with those but of course the main event is ampersand he's he's really emoting he's he's on the stage he's in what would you call treading the boards please oh Uh, well most certainly I believe that's a doublet that he is wearing. Yes, with a, you know, a, a, a very, yeah, like an Elizabethan collar, puffy sleeve. He's in costume as Hamlet, basically. Yes, he has a sword. He does have a sword. <laughs> He's holding up a skull, as in the famous scene from Hamlet when he holds up Yorick's skull. Yes, and says, alas, poor Yorick, which is a reference. It is a reference. Uh, and boy, this issue is all in on the references. This whole this whole little interlude is very time time for me to make my meta commentary on the series as a whole for Vaughn. Yes, certainly. Um, so we start with this traveling theater troupe is who this uh, this diptych focuses on. You're something of a diptych yourself. So it's yes, it's a traveling theater troupe, all women, obviously, mm-hmm. they want to do, you know, their serious high minded theater, they want to do Pirates of Penzance. Mm-hmm. But the Nebraskan 
housewife who runs the town that they're in question <laughs> who's, mark who's the mayor uh requests that they perform as the world turns or wait which <laughs> is it is it that one uh it is yes. as the world turns yes <laughs> i'm a little confused so does the soap the so she says we have soap opera digest which like outlines the plots but i'm just conf- like is she asking to just see the last six months or they they spoiled what's gonna happen in the next six months in soap opera digest i'm not no i think the implication is that she is providing the backstory and then it is their job then to uh, i see as she says, pick up where some of the storylines left off. And there's a great bit about them doing Glengarry Glen Ross, which she says is she doesn't like because it has swears in it. <laughs> well, she says, I hope there's no swears. And they're all like, <laughs> Thank you for the correction. You're welcome. And then, more importantly, after all this, they stumble upon a certain monkey. And and which monkey is it? It is, of course, the, the board treader himself, Ampersand. <laughs> Who had previously how he, how had he been lost? Or we don't we don't know even. I don't he just I don't believe we know how he got out on his own at this point. Other than that, I mean we never really find out the specifics really, other than that like he's always escaping. Like it's not yeah, for any he's real a, reason. He's constantly running around the house with a pickle in his mouth, aka <laughs> misbehaving. Right, of course. And then also in this issue we get introduced to a certain shadowy figure, a very a very Brian K. Vaughn thing, because this is very similar to Kurdzu or Kudzu yes, from uh, Swamp Thing. The, there's a ninja in a tree. <laughs> yeah, with the, with <laughs> combining the, sword, the two or <laughs> the two most notable uh, attributes of Kudzu. Yes, <laughs> yes. This this is a tree person after a fashion <laughs> in the sense that they are in a tree. Uh, we're also, uh, speaking of theories of how the plague gets rolled out, we're presented with possibly the wildest theory yet, other than maybe York's uh, ring theory, which is that the, like, gods of drama <laughs> are thrusting <laughs> women back into, uh their their due place on the stage yes and her logic is that the re so yes she she talks about the black death and how the black death stopped because women were allowed on the stage and so now that's sort of this is coming again so it's sort of a second black death because there are no good parts for women to which i would argue (laughs) what what was stopping the plague for the last several hundred years (laughs) truly Yes, very true indeed. But yes, so we see uh, this shadowy figure who we will uh, later learn is named Toyota observing. And she is, of course, giving chase to to Ampersand and starring in my favorite cover of the series, which is her standing on the marquee of the theater where they are going to be uh, performing The Last Man. It's called The Roxy, but only the Y is lit. The title is diegetic in the cover. It's amazing. Appearing tonight only is also a good... uh... Yes. A good line. Um, yes. So so we then move directly on to seeing them staging the play about The Last Man, uh, or or rather rehearsing for it. And <laughs> Vaughn gets very, very metatextual and has the director, who is, I believe, named Case or Casey, mm-hmm. unclear on the intended pronunciation, throwing out such lines as, if there's one thing I hate, it's yes. crappy works of fiction trying to sound important by stealing names from the bard. Yes, I also wrote this down because this is like my least favorite type of joke. And it's a, <laughs> being it's like, a, hey, this thing that you're reading is bad for this reason. <laughs> yes, and like, it's a, it's a very big comics thing. 
But um, I was just telling you off mic that I watched Crocodile Dundee last night. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a joke in Crocodile, or not even a joke really, but there's a part in Crocodile Dundee where like she says something like, she says a very like corny line or a very like overly earnest line. that she, she immediately tags like, oh, I sound so silly. It's like... You wrote that. You can't. <laughs> you can't have your character say something and then just immediately walk it back because it's silly. Like, just write a better line. Yeah, I'm rarely enthusiastic about like trying to lampshade something like that, and I don't particularly care for it in this case either. Case Thomas. Yeah, <laughs> more more to the point uh, of the book at large. She then goes on to say that the, her her play about the Last Man includes a reference to uh, the Mary Shelley book, The Last Man. And when asked in that book what caused everyone to die, she says uh, she never really got around to explaining it. But it's not the point of her story. It's a condemnation of the unchecked masculinity that was always threatening to destroy the planet. It's about the failure of art and imagination to save the world. I I don't feel that that is what why the last man is about. And so I'm curious if he's included this part to because he thinks that that's what why is about or if he has included it to like prompt the audience to like compare and contrast question mark. I don't I definitely don't think that that's what why is about like (laughs) why weirdly is like not that much about masculinity although it it does yeah it's about like york's perception of masculinity but i would say there's a much greater extent to which it's about the ways in which like men and women are more alike than you (laughs) you might think (laughs) very interesting yeah i i think well i think also that is sort of the idea of these issues certainly or at least you know that these issues are certainly about art and sort of the existence of art in a world that is so messy and then and then well the main thing that like the biggest thing that comes out of these issues or the biggest impact they have going forward is the ending where yorick asks yes they, really. they they show up they stop everything they're wearing their masks and then Yorick asks them how the play ends, to which the playwright replies that the the last man saves the world by committing suicide and mm-hmm. letting the women save themselves. Which I think, to some extent, maybe is what the book is about, or mm-hmm. at least like, well, certainly this this section is about that. Yes, and Yorick sort of feeling that <laughs> that is correct, and you know, like he says himself in a later issue that that is the obvious and correct ending mm-hmm. to the story, which I don't think is completely unfounded either. Indeed. Uh, you, of course, did completely breeze by that at one point the mayor rips a poster in half, but uh, the shot composition catches her part way, so it does form a Y. Uh, you failed to mention that there's a joke about how they can tell <laughs> how the ampersand's diapers monograms, maybe they can find it out. And the woman says, unless the owner's name was Brown, and <laughs> we can't figure it out. <laughs> it's very good. Um, yes, and then Toyota, she, she sort of shows up very briefly and then kind of pieces out. Uh, we get the illusion that she was hired by Dr. M, mm-hmm. which I immediately perked up at. She says hi and domo arigato because she is a Japanese character in a comic book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she's just sort of, she sort of just pieces out. Well, she bails when the, like, she's planning to steal the monkey and then bails when the people with shotguns show up because it becomes a slightly different proposition from like quietly stealing it from a troop of playwrights. 
Right, exactly. And we get the first illusion that she is not being paid enough for this. Yes, which is, one uh, first of many. <laughs> She's long suffering, yes. certainly. Certainly. So the yes, the York dismisses uh, the ending of uh, being uh, like that. That the last man kills himself as bad, uh, and of course, case turns directly to camera to say everyone's <laughs> a critic, <laughs> like straight down the barrel. It did sort of remind me of the ending of an Archie comic. <laughs> <laughs> it it has big Archie energy for sure. And we move on to the following issue, the script for which is included in the back of the deluxe editions that I've been going through, and which claims that the shot at the end of this issue where 7-Eleven, who we'll discuss shortly, uh, appears in her bondage gear is the first appearance of nudity in the book. Which I feel is refuted by the page before where we see a <laughs> bunch of nude women on the stage. Yeah, that that surely cannot be right. Uh, yeah, it it feels wrong even before this. But I was like, well, there's definitely nude women in in that issue. So yes. Anyways, yeah, it, it's interesting that he conceived of that as a big like. All right, this is the first time we're going to work nudity into the book for like kind of the shock value of that page turn. But uh, and also, there's the dream sequence where Beth is naked and then gets all bloody. Right. But uh, the blood is concealing her nipples? Question mark. I seem to recall that was that was the big the big reveal is that there were visible <laughs> nipples. I I guess so. I mean, go off king. I guess indeed. Anyways, um, we so we move on to safe word is the title yes. of the next arc, which uh, I like. <laughs> <laughs> the this is like. When when they talk in interviews, Yvonne and Gara, about uh, like their collaborative process, this is the story that they always really refer to to highlight how collaborative they were because this storyline's roots are ultimately with Pia Gara, like talking with the series about Yvonne and at some point, like kind of half joking, saying like, oh, York's an escape artist. We should give him a villain who's like a bondage dominatrix. And, <laughs> and Yvonne was like, Hmm, I can work with that. <laughs> I like the sound of this. And uh, and lo and behold, here comes Safe Word. I think a very, a bit of a turning point storyline in a lot of ways. I feel that this is kind of where, not to say that the real story starts here, but the real story does kind of start here to an extent. <laughs> so far as like, this issue introduces through the flashback with York's grandfather some some ideas and themes that will crop up throughout the remainder of the run and will be extremely important to the last issue, I think. All the stuff with the grandfather is very important for the final issue. No spoilies. And also resolves... Such a big spoiler. <laughs> not that big a spoiler. What did I spoil? It's just... <laughs> the Never grandfather mind. stuff is relevant. Grandfather paradox. <laughs> oh boy anyways uh and it it kind of resolves some of the not to say that now he's suddenly an adult after the events of these issues but it kind of resolves some of his immaturity he, he grows up a bit through these issues and has kind of a clearer path forward personally i guess yeah certainly this mark and then i mean really the next like you know 10 or 15 issues i feel like have a lot of like pivotal moments for a lot of different characters but yes, this is this is a very interesting set of issues, obviously. <laughs> I'm kind of of two minds about it. I kind of, like, one part of me feels like this is, like, so gratuitous and, like, so, such, like, a male perspective on it. Mm -hmm. But also, I think that this is the first time they really reckon with 
Yorick's masculinity in a very interesting way. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's very interesting because I think sort of the launching off point, other than the flashback, like you mentioned, this sort of ATV chase with the posse. Yes. Where, because the, the big sort of moment as I read it was that they were sort of resolving this issue like as a group of women, which is that they are getting chased by a posse who they believe that 355 and Dr. Man are Amazons and all this stuff. And then they're sort of starting to move towards resolving it. And then Yorick swoops in. <laughs> he holds a knife to a horse's throat. Yes. He says, I'm going to turn Black Beauty here into a prop from the Godfather. I feel uh, <laughs> 355's response is appropriate. Great uh, great face work from uh, Pia Guerra in that panel. Yes, she is not impressed. Dr. Man is also not impressed. Um, and so, yes, eventually this issue gets resolved, albeit the women do get left without their horses and are forced to walk back to civilization. But yes, I think that, that this is sort of the big... At least it, it sort of lays down the groundwork of this arc because it's the idea that Yorick is sort of resolving this problem in like a very overtly masculine way. Well, and and more to the point that he is unnecessarily injecting himself into situations in very dangerous ways. Yeah, certainly from a character standpoint, that is very important as well. But I think thematically, the idea that he is inserting himself, so to speak, uh, <laughs> what that was that was clever that wasn't uh, even funny that was clever <laughs> well as we have discussed off mic several times if i don't get a laugh for you'll believe a plant can can cry i'm certainly not giving you a laugh for that uh you'll you're truly never going to let that go <laughs> it was my greatest joke my finest achievement truly a wild take um but yes that's just that because yorick is usually like such a cuck <laughs> It's just, it's it's interesting because grappling with his masculinity is not maybe as easy as it would be if he was a more overtly masculine character. Because, And I think, you know, obviously a big part of the book is that he is so often not in the position of power and that he is far less competent at the things that matter than yes. 365 and Dr. Man. But yes, these issues do certainly approach his masculinity, certainly. Oh, we also just sort of randomly get the reveal that Dr. Man is gay. <laughs> yes, like, sure. Uh, it's, she has hinted at that previously. Yes, it's definitely been been referenced. But then we get the real <laughs> beginning of this arc, which is that York. So York gets left with Agent 711, who mm -hmm. is a former member of the Culper Ring. She lost her husband. And so she and she is left there because 355 does not trust York to come with them to the hospital in Denver, I believe, to get medical supplies for Ampersand, who is, who is sick. Feeling, and... Ooh, he's so sicky after his encounter with uh, Toyota, I believe. Yes, Tommy She hurt. sliced him up with her uh, her sword. Or, no, no, didn't, doesn't he get, like, hatcheted by hatcheted. someone? I'm pretty sure he got cut up with her sword but right before the theater troupe found him. Maybe. I don't know. So, Yorick, and so he is there. And then gets drugged by Agent 711. And when he wakes up, he is tied up all crazy like. Tied question mark? I guess that's what you'd call that, yeah. <laughs> um, we, oh, we, I thought we saw it on a cover somewhere, but I guess not. But yes, he is very much <laughs> tied up in a very complex series of knots, hanging yes. upside down. There's a big Y on his chest formed oh, of from the knots. I, I don't see those things as often as you do. And Agent 711 is in... <laughs> What can only be described as bondage gear with like 
a cat o' nine tails. Although we do also see uh, amongst her other tools uh, a riding crop, a like I can only describe it as the weeaboo paddle. What? You oh. know, for... <laughs> <laughs> uh... <laughs> what appears to be a chain and then various other rope implements. They do a they do a fun thing when he's like hallucinating slash on drugs throughout this arc where they have several times like the panel that they usually use to establish the setting, which is like a black panel that runs the horizontal length of the page. And then in like block white text has the information about the setting, like for for at the beginning of the last issue, it was Allen's Park, Colorado. But when he's drugged, it's usually like, like she says something to him. She says, York, you need to wake up. And that's like put in the setting spot at the start of this next issue. He's having like a weird Wizard of Oz dream. And the the text block is where the hell am I? I think that's yes. a fun way to play with the established convention here. Yes. And I, I noticed that a couple more times beyond this uh, series of issues that they, he starts using that sort of, I mean, in issue one, I think he's in a sort of dramatically effective way. But I feel like he sort of, learns how to use those sort of establishing chiron blocks in in some pretty interesting and effective ways I'm, yeah i can't think of a specific example but there was definitely one that jumped out to me and maybe i'll find it as we're paging through here i just wanted to go back for a moment and say that i forgot that the beginning of the weeaboo comic uh for anyone who <laughs> does not know just search just search pbf weeaboo but I forgot that the first panel is the guy saying, if we waste any more time on Weeaboo, we'll be bankrupt by the end of the month. <laughs> While pointing to a chart that it's like precipitously declining. <laughs> it's oh. truly a piece of art. One of the great comics. Anyways, so he, York embarks on this psychedelic, psychedelic journey that reveals a lot to us about his like sexual history and experience of sexuality and that relationship with like his his sense of masculinity. Yes, which we we are we are sort of uh, led to believe that obviously that this is <laughs> something of a sexual nature for Seven Eleven that she is very interested in Yorick's gay experiences such as they may be and but of course we find out that in fact he has had gay experiences specifically he was like assaulted sexually by assaulted a by a friend yeah or a, a peer as you say which i don't i don't know how i feel about this it's such a left turn and the way that they like show the flashback and then cut to york with like a single tear running down his face <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a it's got a sense like well, like we said last time, and certainly could be said of the theater issues as well. Subtlety is not uh, generally part of what's at play and why, and and certainly this is not like a subtle touch on uh, on the retelling of his experience here. No, I think yeah, the the subtlety is maybe what is a little lost in this series. But she's like, I think the central sort of idea slash metaphor is very interesting but again it's not it's not presented in a very subtle way usually um so then we get the the first straight experience that yorick has where he loses her virginity he loses his virginity to does this person's character ever get named it's beth but it's not beth is it it is beth it's sophomore beth but she she has 
Oh, no, I think that's... She has blonde hair at one point, but it looks like she has red hair. Yeah, it's, like, filtered through... Because he's, like, remembering it, and it's shown as... uh, Like, it's retold through these snippets of, like, Polaroids. So it's got, like, an odd coloration, but he does say Beth right before the sequence starts. Yeah, that's what confused uh, me. For Yeah, I think it's definitely intended to be Beth. Yes, he does name her as Beth at some point. The German woman named DeVille. (laughs) <laughs> as we learn here <laughs> naturally yes but yes and so and then the big the big sort of metaphor or image that york presents here is his sticky cum tissue oh. being ravaged by flies like, yes yum, yum, is... yum. they're gobbling it up what <laughs> you can't you can't make a sound of disgust and say <laughs> yum 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 they're gobbling it up also is that a thing I'm not going I don't to ask know. For any details. <laughs> I'm not going to question why you might know it or not. I'm just curious. <laughs> I have never seen anything like that or heard of anything like that. <laughs> you haven't you haven't heard of anything like no, that? No. <laughs> I've never this is the first place I've ever had the idea of flies eating semen introduced to me. Yes, it's it's very interesting. And uh, yes, of course, this very subtle metaphor is the indication <laughs> that Yorick perhaps has some uh, troubling relationships with sex. Yeah, and and views like kind of the, yeah, I'm sure this is tied into like his masculinity as well with like his semen being like the, in some ways, like the physical essence of his masculinity, which he also views as his weakness. Yes, and then, and also like, we get the church tied in, which also comes back in a later uh, issue in this block of issues that we're talking about. Yes. He's described himself previously as a recovering Catholic. Yes, that's true. Um, and then we sort of get into Agent 7-Eleven is sort of attacking him, mainly verbally, but also physically. She asks him, like, is a bunch of flies eating your cum really the worst thing you've ever seen? Uh, and then we get a flashback to a pretty horrific image of yeah. Yorick, like, we um, basically immediately after... The first after, time he ventured out of his apartment, yeah. Yeah, immediately after the first issue where he steps out into, like, the hallway of his apartment and sees a bunch of dead men and then a pregnant woman who is, like, holding her stillborn son who has come out too soon, as she says, which mm-hmm. is a pretty... Uh, Pretty gross image. Yep. And then that moves on to the last issue where she waterboards him. <laughs> like, it just, it gets so crazy. It does. I mean, the, yeah, I mean, we're, well, we can, there's not like a ton of, uh, of shocking new information here other than that, you know, she ultimately causes him to like introspect about those like first few days when he was stayed in his apartment and then ultimately had to leave to find food. He finds the cop who we talked about in the first issue who who shot herself at, at as like both the opening and close of the first issue. Yes, which is also uh I I, I mentioned the leftovers earlier uh as a point of comparison here. And that's also a very leftovers thing. Because the first scene we see in the leftovers is like a car, like basically like someone sees a car crash because there's <laughs> there's just a car with no one in it and like they see it crash into someone or into another car or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then later we find out that like there is a connection to a character as well. 
Right. So that was very similar in the way that they show that in the first issue. And it, it's sort of, it's very obliquely tied into Yorick's story. And now we see, like, it sort of comes back in a more explicit way. Yes. He finds her gun, obviously, still in her hand next to her and considers killing himself uh, and puts the gun to his head, but ultimately doesn't do it. And and this gets to basically the root of what 7-Eleven has been trying to lead him to, which is that he didn't have the courage, basically, is how they characterize it, to pull the trigger himself. So he's been trying to find someone who will do it for him. That's why he keeps putting himself in these dangerous situations. That's why he keeps revealing himself. Uh, he's hoping that someone will kill him, basically. 7-Eleven says, if you want someone to do it so bad, I'll do it. Uh, and then he has this epiphany that actually he wants to live. Yes, he he basically has some kind of dream sequence where he like goes to heaven or some near equivalent and then sees something, which is never specified. Um, but once he sees that, he decides he doesn't want to die. He escapes, and then <laughs> it is revealed <laughs> that, in fact, all of this was on purpose. <laughs> it yes. was all of it was all a great plan. It's a it's a culper ring. <laughs> it's like... it described as a form of aversion therapy developed <laughs> during a secret meeting between Benjamin Franklin and the Marquis de Sade. It's based oh. on the idea that your sexuality and mortality are indissoluble elements. Of um, that, that she's that, cut that, off that. from her explanation, but uh, seems insane. <laughs> <laughs> Secret meeting between Benjamin Franklin and the Marquis de Sade. I have is... to assume that this is an actual thing. Like it's it's just not really? the kind of thing that he would make up. Vaughn, I feel like this is exactly the kind of thing where, like we've talked before about, like the trivia and the factoids and these sort of like historical oddities that he likes to pull out. And this seems like exactly the kind of thing that when he was like 21 and and like i don't know in his senior year of college he like was reading something that obliquely referenced this and he was like what's this and then like read more about it and was like well at some point this is <laughs> this is going in my like writer's bag to come out later i mean i'm looking for references to it here i can't find anything when i searched le proceed d'enfer which is how they uh how she describes it which i guess means like before hell <laughs> <laughs> or pers- i don't know i, I guess Anyways, yeah maybe a divine comedy reference of some sort um but yes and it when you search that it does bring up a virgin therapy but it doesn't make any reference to a secret meeting between benjamin franklin and the marquis de sade hmm. mm, Pliny the elder attempted to heal alcoholism in the first century by putting putrid spiders in their drinking glasses gross but yes this was all <laughs> a big plot (laughs) to cure all along to cure york's depression yes basically she describes it as a suicide intervention taken to basically extreme lengths to either get him to realize that he wanted to live or i i don't know i guess the implication is that she would have killed him if he had never resisted question mark what do you think I guess so. I think she would have done it. I think based on how we see her respond at the end of this issue, she is assassinated by people who we will learn are members of the uh, Sitakit, or uh, I always trip over that word reading the it. The But yeah, the Sitakis ring, like a, a radical offshoot of the Culpa ring, and she thanks them for killing her, which slightly troubling depiction of people with suicidal ideation that 
it's like yes. a weird glamorization of like oh people who are actually able to go through with killing themselves have a courage that those who only think about it can only dream of and hope that maybe someone will do it for them is yeah not, and also not crazy like about that the reason she's happy that they killed her is because her husband died yes which fyi in this world <laughs> a lot of women managing to managing to recover from that and lead productive lives yes i think most people did in fact lose their husbands and there's also this little this sort of line at the end where she make so during the therapy i suppose we're calling it yorick <laughs> makes reference to this ending that the one brought up of the last man committing suicide and allowing the women to get on with their lives basically and then 7-eleven at the end tells him endings have to be earned which uh i like that part yeah yeah it's a good line that's that's why i'm sort of conflicted because there's so much stuff in it that is i wouldn't even call it uncomfortable because like i don't think the problem with it is that like it's sexual in nature or that it, like sort of dives deep into his psyche like it's just, just it's just a, that... like <laughs> it just seems like if your goal was to get him to come to grips with the fact that he's been like deliberately risking his life due to like a suicidal ideation and then help him overcome that the way to do it is not like gaslight him lightly torture him drug him <laughs> it just seems like there might be better ways to uh to address some of that yes she also uses a few slurs oh several i which i mean like i guess if you're going like <laughs> i think yeah, using, I using slurs it's... to evoke a response in him is not really going any further than waterboarding him or whipping him or <laughs> i suppose so. or like deliberately like giving him viagra telling like coercing him into wanting to have sex with her and then refusing to have sex with him like it's all quite it seems like a traumatic experience <laughs> but he's cool with it apparently he's, yeah he's chill you know what three days later they're hanging out in her living room reading books uh and <laughs> yeah. you know what now they have they in some way they know each other like the others never will mm, indeed well the except then she dies yeah r.i.p 7-eleven um speaking of 7-eleven there's also some explicit 9-eleven talk <laughs> While the Twin Towers appear in um, in the flashback. He very explicitly says when he's describing sort of his his first day out that he had barely gotten over 9-11. Because I guess this would have been, it's July 17th. So that's 2002. Yes. So that's like not quite a year after 9-11, which is interesting to think about in that context. Um, Doesn't really get explored too much deeper than that from what I've seen, but... No. Um, but yes, and then as you said, she's murdered by the... The Sakakis ring. Yeah, the Sitakit. Or... or oh, no. it's, I, have, I have no idea how it's intended it to be pronounced. It must be Set-Aket, right? And it's like um, Egyptian? Sure. I mean, they seem to be American. They are so definitely American. Oh, no. Set-Aket. Sitakit is a place in Long Island. I was going to say, this seems like it's uh, it's a Google uh, solution, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what the deal is. Oh, so I guess the Culpering were headquartered in Sedeket? Sedeket? Sure. Seems plausible. Anyway, Secaucus is also a city, so we can just go with that. <laughs> yeah. That's close by. It's in New Jersey. <laughs> uh, yes. 
they they kill her but of course uh our wizard of oz gang will not learn that until much later yes and also this that issue does have a wizard of oz cover which i i think he included the wizard of oz part at the beginning just to justify that cover uh we also get a new cover artist i think i don't know if it's the first issue in this uh little chunk that has the new cover artist but i think there are a couple of cover artists in this trade actually yeah, I didn't take particular note. It's definitely not uh, J.G. Jones doing all of them anymore. Yeah. But um, uh, Aaron Weisenfeld and Massimo Carnevale are credited with the right. covers. I don't know who did which. But the, yes, definitely uh, a different style. I really like most of the covers that are in this block of issues that we read. Yeah, good covers by and large, I'd say. Yes, issue 19 For the has whole... the, uh, the Wizard of Oz cover. And like I said, I think that he just included the Wizard of Oz bit at the beginning just to justify having a cover with Yorick through D5 <laughs> and Allison drawn as the Wizard of Oz characters. So that wraps up Safe Word. You seem a little more mixed on it than maybe I am. I, I definitely agree that there's elements of it that are like, I guess, unsettling and maybe not in the way that they're intended to be. But but yeah, this is this is the section where I find the book just becomes like, very readable and and i started just like flying through issues at that point at the start of that arc well really at the start of one small step but yeah yeah this this whole stretch i find very readable even when it's not like totally working yeah i think the reason that i'm a little conflicted about it is because i like it a lot and i agree with you that this this stretch of issues i think is really good like i do think it like sort of takes it up a notch over the course of these issues but yeah i mean it's it would be it's hard for me to put my finger on it exactly um i would really have to delve into the sexual politics of what exactly this group of issues means it seems like i mean it's also it was a different time as we like to say it wasn't that long ago but it was i think it was a different time as far as but the book definitely has like early 2000s energy yes absolutely and so i i'm a little more i think that he really just he had the idea of the sort of like tying the sexuality into his sort of suicidal tendencies and all of that stuff and i maybe <laughs> didn't consider it much deeper than that although this is sort of the beginning of us delving into Yorick's sexuality because she questions the idea that he has not had sex with any woman over the course of this i guess it's how long do we think it's been at this point? Because at some point, I think we get a clear indication that, like, of the two-year mark at yes, one point during in this stretch yes, of issues, when they're in San Francisco or right outside of San Francisco during the uh, Tongues of Flame arc, which is right, right after the one we're about to start, Heroes Pass or Widows Pass. So it's safe to say it's been at least a year. Oh yeah, I think it's been longer than that because the the story that we're about to start yorick goes to the church because of the events of that story right uh, it seems like pretty much immediately after like like not immediately after but within like a week i think it's safe to say yeah they go from being in arizona to being one day out of san francisco which can't take you too long to travel certainly well i mean it took the it takes them two years to yes. <laughs> get from washington to uh, well i guess from new york to washington to to san francisco but well, yeah i think Kansas. i think we're probably around uh, a year and a half roughly at this point yeah i think that's a safe bet but yes yeah, so let's move on to widow's pass which take mm-hmm. as we said takes place in arizona concerns the sons of arizona is what they're called i believe 
which yes, is that's correct. Sort of this militia that are <laughs> pulling off what is called the McVeigh Gambit, which feels like a real Brian <laughs> K. Vaughn thing. <laughs> which I was not uh, able to find just by Googling, but apparently is a Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City... Wait, no, wait. Which one of them was mm, the Oklahoma... The Unabomber? No, because Ted Kaczynski is the Unabomber. Right. Timothy McVeigh, I believe, is the Oklahoma City Bomber. And yes, his sort of idea that if you can blockade or somehow stop this certain stretch of interstate in arizona then you you can well that you can hold it with like a very a relatively small number of committed people and then effectively strangle shipping across the entire country yes because of some reason that the uh something to do with interstates (laughs) some road related reason (laughs) which as masters of u.s geography i'm sure we are able to figure out it would never happen on the 400 series is all I can say. Trans Canada, baby. <laughs> um, but yes. And so they're in Arizona. They're sort of like on a desert highway uh, where they meet PJ, who is a bald lady. <laughs> yes. She's a mechanic. Uh, she is friendly. Wait, is she PJ or JP? I think. Oh, no, she is. She is PJ. You're right. I thought PJ was her dad, but no, she is PJ. Maybe she's PJJ. PJ Jr. Oh, you're you're also glossing over that they <laughs> they use gibberish yes, they uh, use, to I've speak only... to each other and told York that it was Chinese <laughs> <laughs> and he believed them. <laughs> That's very good. I've always heard of this described referred to as Idigan, but then I searched it and there was <laughs> no indication of that. It is in fact called gibberish, is what I've learned, which they <laughs> correctly identify as pig Latin for girls. <laughs> <laughs> yes very good bit but anyways yes so they have they have encountered a serious issue in that they need to get through this blockade and and are debating about the best way to go about doing that but ultimately dr man takes matters into her own hands and goes out to try and negotiate passage through herself yes yeah, she goes over well, also, York has this weird dream. Yes, which is like Conan the Barbarian meets Empire Strikes Back. Like, he's fighting skeletons, which we love to see, of yes, course. Yes, we love, we love a walking <laughs> skeleton, especially when they are wearing armor and weapons. Yep, love it. And Beth is wearing, like, a Red Sonia-style warrior bikini chained to a rock. and <laughs> She gets sliced and in half. A, yeah, in a, a really comes out way. And, and murders her. Yeah. She, so this is the second time he's had a dream about Beth's death. And we will soon start to have more and more people raising the possibility that she may just be dead. Uh, given that she was out in the middle of nowhere when the plague struck. Of course, we'll come to learn that that is not true, but the seed is planted, so to speak, in his mind that she could be dead and possibly all of his uh, holding out, saving himself, if you will, his like romantic quest slash dream of going to Australia to propose properly might all be for naught. Yes. Uh, And then, like you said, uh, Dr. Mann at the same time is trying to barter with offering medical assistance to the women who were wounded uh, in a firefight between... It's like a bunch of federal agents, right? Who are sort of... Uh, Texas Rangers. Yes, Texas Rangers who are trying to retake this area that the 
Sons of Arizona are successfully blockading and were highly unsuccessful. They say they only managed to wound two, one of them whom, or no, both of them die, but the entire squadron of Texas Rangers gets wiped out as well. Yes. Um, but yes, and so Dr. Man offers her medical services. They get mad at her about that for being condescending and thinking they don't know how to provide medical assistance and then knock her out and make her their prisoner. There's also this lady who... It's the same woman who first asks Dr. Man if she's an abortionist. A truly wild question. Uh, and then accuses her of, for some reason, being part of the whichever shady cabal she believes killed all the men right she, she perhaps unsurprisingly for a <laughs> states rights militia has some interesting ideas about what might have caused the plague and what uh what 355's business is about yorick is also in conversation with pj where she there she she expresses the desire to have children and he's kind of like well how are you going to do that given that you have made it clear that you're not going to be doing it with me. And she says, we're never, we're not just going to go extinct. And York says, said the, t- <laughs> said the T-Rex to the Triceratops. And she says, dinosaurs didn't really die. They just evolved into something new, which feels like a, a little bit of a sort of thesis statement in some way, not necessarily for what, where the, the comic is kind of taking like women at large per se, but I'm, I guess for like the direction that the characters are headed, the direction that society is headed. Yeah, certainly sort of the, the post-apocalyptic nature of it, in addition to the the, the gender of it all. I, I Yeah, but, but we will increasingly see like less of properly post-apocalyptic settings, especially once they get to San Francisco. It will, it like, as time goes on, it starts to look more and more like, sort of like the world we knew, except you know evolved yes and a little a little more lawless certainly or at least differently applied laws yeah i i do sometimes struggle to sort of parse the themes that they're trying to get across in a lot of these issues like i mean certainly some of the stuff that's going like they talk about like you said the idea of like sort of the future of the human race (laughs) and then they decline to have sex with each other um, which yes, again, we this is uh, like I said, this is w- once this uh, safe word has happened, we do tend to get a little more discussion of Yorick's sexuality and the fact that yeah, now we know <laughs> definitively that he's just been beaten. It yes, we do know that he has one of the <laughs> grossest lines I've ever heard, where he talks about <laughs> about pumping out bone marrow. Oh yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> truly one of the most vile things <laughs> unconscionable he yes describes <laughs> outdoor showers that were set up in chicago and like gross <laughs> bone marrow <laughs> yeah <laughs> truly truly one of the most disgusting things i've ever read yes um yeah and it seems like they that he sort of manages to steer away from like i feel like before york was just sort of like like just like a noble guy like you'd always just be like I can't do it, like, either because, well, and, right. and we still... Like, I mustn't. Yes, and we still don't totally get away from, like, the, like, you can't get too close to me. Anyone who gets close to me dies. Like, that sort of trope. But there's a little more sort of frankness or acknowledgement of York's needs, <laughs> shall we say. Right. Uh, we get, uh, so, so the 
B story, I guess, in a weird way. I, I don't know. Yeah, B story to an extent is 355 going off to save Dr. Man, which great, uh, great showing for 355, uh, causing them just enough doubt to think she might be a doctor to stay alive, uh, subsequently killing the entire militia <laughs> quite, quite gruesomely as well. And we get a bit of uh, backstory for her as well. We learned that her mother was a nurse and that her whole family died when she was eight in a car accident. Yes, and also we get the reference earlier that she and Seven Eleven were both recruited out of an orphanage. Yes, this is it. so. This is how I pieced her age together because oh, oh no, I'm thinking, I'm thinking previously, but at some point uh, she makes an allusion to having been involved in the Culper Ring since she was 16. She also refers to an operation that she participated in in 1993, and then, of course, the comic begins in 2002. So assuming that she was 16 in 1993, she would be 25 at the outset of the journey, which seems to line up with the general timeline. But yes, uh, Culper Ring, recruiting orphans, that's how they roll, apparently. It's kind of a classic move. Yeah, true. James Bond, certainly. It worked. Uh, (laughs) worked so successfully for james bond and then meanwhile on the other side of things pj is surprised by the youngest and newest member of the sons of arizona who accidentally shoots her in surprise at the second or third accidental shooting i think you maybe you might be thinking of swamp thing because the the what the tree hugger woman accidentally shoots someone right oh you're right i'm i'm thinking oh no no i so yeah, the tree hugger the, woman accidentally shoots There's the Republican senator's yeah. wife who accidentally, accidentally shoots someone. shoots the Secret Service agent in the head. <laughs> I was trying to remember if Hero accidentally shot the mail carrier or did it on purpose, but she did it on purpose. So the second accidental shooting. The third in like three years for Brian. Certainly, yeah. <laughs> He's a big fan of gun safety, I guess. And Yorick then is confronted by her as well. We don't get the details of exactly what happens in this issue, but what we later learn is that she shoots at him and misses and he shoots her back, <laughs> I guess, uh, and she dies as a result. Yes, and and also the so the the big thing which I don't think really has been resolved by the time that well maybe to some extent it, it does by the time that we finish this block of issues. But Yorick claims to Fifty Five and Doctor Man that they shot each other. And that he lost the gun that 355 gives him for protection. So concealing yes. the, the fact that he kill, has killed someone, which definitely weighs on him over the course of the next several issues. Indeed, will be the the thing that drives him to the church in Tongues of Flame. In these issues, we also have Dr. Man first express her attraction to 355 with no further development on that, really. And then at the conclusion of this storyline, we learn that Siba, the astronaut, has just given birth to a healthy little boy. Uh, and we catch back up with Hiro, who we last saw with her mother in Washington. She is now here wearing like a full cowboy getup uh, in Kansas. She's a crocodile Dundee type. <laughs> she's got a fringe jacket. She's got a gun. She's got uh, a little GPS transponder. She is still hunting for Yorick. We don't really know at this point to what end. Yes. Um, which we don't, we, and we don't get any reconciliation on that until the neck, the, the story arc after the next one, right? Yeah. It's the, the end of Ring of Truth is when we kind of finally land that plane. So, well, to speak. there's also, I think there's one, Not to or be maybe sensitive that's... to other Beth. <laughs> yes. Spoilers. <laughs> 
Um, and I think I think there's also there's an issue which is called Hero's Journey. I there don't know is, if that's yes. part of Ring of Truth or I think it's the bridge between Tongues of Flame and Ring of Truth. Yeah, where we get a little bit more backstory on Hero as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's just the one issue, I guess. Yeah. Anyways, well, we'll focus on Tongues of Flame for now. And actually, the number five trade is titled Ring of Truth. Yes. Oh, wait. I, that, of course, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was thinking of Heroes Journey. I was like, it's interesting that it's titled that. But it, no, it's it's the far more relevant and longer storyline that's yes. part of it. But we start with Tongues of Flame, which opens with uh and are you there god it's me margaret joke which uh i stand for <laughs> are you there god it's me margaret references i do as well and the, he says to himself little judy bloom humor for you yeah <laughs> uh imagine explaining your own jokes to yourself yes or to god as or the case to, or to be. god <laughs> but yes yorick has come into this church because he wants to make a confession mm-hmm. but of course there are no priests to hear it naturally um but there is as you say other beth i believe she becomes uh, eventually known almost formally as other beth that's pretty good but yes this woman who is sort of holding down the fort as as the case may be so she is like a theology graduate right yeah (laughs) and she do we get a, a sort of very specific reason why she ends up in this particular church well i think it's the closest church to where her plane goes down oh right yeah so her backstory is that she was an a flight attendant who was on a plane when july 17th happened um uh, yeah so this this is a good one like the you get the chiron timestamp as 15,000 feet above Cooksfield, July 17th, 2002. Yeah. But yeah, so she goes in, she finds that the pilots are dead. Mm-hmm. Um, the, she uh, talks to the air traffic controller who, <laughs> who is... suggests that they've been left behinded. <laughs> yes, she really does, because they are the children of Eve, classic C.S. Lewis ref. Uh-huh. Um, and then, yes, she crashes the plane. Only three people survive. Yes, great, uh, and great she... sequence, IMO. Yeah. Well, in my opinion, she should have rolled it. <laughs> we'll never know how many souls she might have saved, uh, but it's true. In this case, she did save three. Yes, she she carries a lot of guilt from the crash because she believes that the pilot had basically activated an automatic landing system, and that by tampering with the controls in an attempt to land the plane safely, she actually messed it up and caused the deaths of dozens of women who we that's just, that is what the language she uses to identify how many women are on the plane and when york asks her how many women survived the crash there's a great silent panel with the three fingers very impactful very cinematic indeed um you know what i'm just realizing what that she did it in july uh, uh-huh on the 17th yeah which is what she should have done okay <laughs> <laughs> And I just realized that India Golf Niner Niner, we are buddy spiked their children on board. Anyways, they uh, this this revelation somehow sparks passion in Yorick and disengage. They... I repeat, disengage. <laughs> <laughs> Little Incredibles humor for you. <laughs> Little Incredibles humor for you. Uh, they do the deed only to be confronted. Uh, well, first Yorick has, of course, an existential crisis about Beth. 
about about original Beth, OG Beth, who other Beth suggests is probably dead. I believe PJ also raised some doubts about about her alive status. Is that correct? I think that's correct. At least like the whole I mean, I think pretty much everyone has sort of raised the idea that it's a little wild that Yorick is trusting in the idea that he's going to go to Australia, like he's going to make it there that he's going to somehow get to where Beth was and that she is still going to be there and that she is still going to be alive. Yes. But yes, uh, other Beth very specifically raises the question of whether Beth will in fact have made it at all. Yes. And then they are attacked by uh, some Amazons who are looking to destroy the church as a symbol of male hegemony. Uh, And one of them is, of course, also a theology grad. (laughs) (laughs) So she and Beth... From Berkeley. Good bit. Yeah. She she and Beth engage in, um, have you seen the last episode of WandaVision yet? Yes, I have. Spoilers for the last episode of WandaVision. They uh, they engage in a uh, colorful vision. Which came vision. out months ago. Yes, colorful vision versus uh, white vision philosophical <laughs> debate about the nature of the church and why exactly it was bad. The last man. Yeah. Why exactly the last man. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> thank, thank you for that. And eventually, with Yorick's help, is able to uh, run them all off, but of course tells them that if she ever uh, gets tired of being an Amazon, they're always welcome back at the church. And Yorick is sent on his way with the reassurance from Beth that his own Beth is still alive. Incredible page turn here with other Beth saying, there's only one Beth for you and she's still alive. You have to have faith in that. Smash cut to a desiccated blonde corpse being eaten by flies. Yes, uh, and, then, and, and then and then Beth going coming across and going, whoa! Yeah, incredible bit. Uh, I absolutely love it. Well, I mean, speaking of incredible bits, you kind of glossed over the fact that Yorick pretends to be God. Well, yes, Yorick does pretend to be God, and it works? Question mark. <laughs> to be fair, like it's it would be wild to to hear a man. I guess, but everybody else who's heard a man has just been like, oh, there's a man who's alive? Yeah, it's true. But I, the, the timing <laughs> would also be rather surprising. Um, also, one of the Amazon women, while I'm thinking of it, has like a gauntlet made of watches. <laughs> yes. Which she is has very cool. I think I think I saw, yeah, the design on those these Amazons is good. They get called out for not having uh, removed their breast and therefore not being real amazons i thought i saw as well that the one who has like a watch gauntlet has something else that suggests she's been collecting like man trophies basically Mm, i'm not sure but yes there's there's a lot of uh there's a lot of good stuff in here there's yes this the the cover of this i really like which is sort of the garden of eden pastiche yes where that with the snake and the tree and other Beth and Yorick. Oh, it's um the the theology student Amazon who argues with other Beth has a belt made out of ties. Oh, that's good. Yes, and then she sort of says she was just kidding about Beth probably being dead. Yeah. Um. Yes, and then we get to as you referenced earlier, they are still in the Australian outback, still sort of exploring. I. <laughs> We don't know exactly what they're doing at this point, do we? No, it seems like she's still just doing... Like anthropology? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
but she she and her like all we see is that she and one of her colleagues slash fellow students are have have an encounter of some kind uh with an aboriginal tribe an australian aboriginal tribe and they have snuck up on her and then cliffhanger we don't yes i I don't think in this chunk of issues we find out anything more about what's happened to her no we don't thoughts on the way that these aboriginal women are drawn specifically in the face (laughs) uh we have seen worse from vaughn's collaborators certainly true but they are also kind of drawn like planet of the apes apes yeah there's a there's a lot of like shadow work that makes them like uh, kind of obscures their faces in odd ways yes their faces aren't like drawn with any detail also yeah it's very strange yeah and it's a it's a a group shot i think i think it's (laughs) intended to be somewhat off-putting just because it's supposed to be like like where did they come from yes sure yeah i'm i'm not specifically like this was bad like i said uh, we've seen worse from vaughn collaborators but yeah i think it is generally true that a lot of comic artists have a lot of practice drawing white people and not necessarily a lot of practice drawing other races so yeah especially black and brown characters but asian characters as well are sometimes a bit of a struggle although like it's it's it wouldn't have been something that i would have thought would be a struggle for pia guerra who draws a black and asian character or like two two characters every issue and depicts them well so yeah i don't i'm not sure whether it's a stylistic choice here or just yeah it certainly it certainly seems like a style trick. maybe she was like using some kind of reference i was gonna say i have to say i have to assume that she was using something as a as a reference here proto google or like a national geographic or something proto google it's like <laughs> mid 2000 it's like 2003 like gmail was about to come out <laughs> uh anyways we move on to hero's journey the um like hero equivalent of safe word question mark yes a little bit and yes i i really liked this issue largely because it sort of fills in a lot of the blanks that we didn't get originally yeah and and adds a lot to the like hero yorick dynamic Yes, I'm very curious whether he was always planning to have this issue or whether he just sort of realized that Hero sort of felt very underexplored and needed an issue devoted to her. Yeah, I think he I think he planned to have this all along because like Hero's Hero's role is like ongoing and to kind of establish like the inner voice that she has in the form of Victoria is important. I think showing like her response to the the plague is important. Of course, here we get the second suggestion that she has been uh, molested by her grandfather, which is a big part of her story. And uh, based on my knowledge of the Von Uvra, I believe that means that actually he's a crossdresser who wants to uh, bring about another Holocaust and destroy all human life. We can only hope. But yes, they we get a flashback where they come across this statue that's just out in a field somewhere. Apparently, yeah. this is this is a very weird sequence where it's like, is this a dream? Did this actually happen? I guess we're kind of led to believe that it actually happened. It definitely seems like it happened. But yes, where Hero introduces Yorick to this statue, which she calls Queen Victoria, and does a voice for. Yeah, and the Queen Victoria thinks that she's great and Yorick sucks. Yes, he's bad and misbehaves. Yes, and that's why mom and dad spend all their time with him. Which Yorick does not take well, obviously. Yes. And then we get 
her teenage years we see her losing her virginity for some reason <laughs> well, to uh, a guy from texas a&m yeah from a college guy when she's like 15 which i don't know is that is this just sort of, sort of like reinforcing her relationship with men or yeah i think so yeah it's very strange but yes we so we get sort of the idea that she was bullied in high school for having zits yep and then and then they boned down. And then, then boned down with a college guy who sweet-talked her with the line, can you be quiet after this, I mean? Yes, he has a soul patch. So. He does have a soul patch and, and mutton chops, to be fair. <laughs> we must be, be fair to this Be man. generous to his facial hair. <laughs> yeah, this guy deserves some kindness from us. <laughs> yeah, we get, we get her brief life story. We see her preparing to... Uh, go off to boston to become an emt and the the tension with her family i do like that this kind of establishes that like i guess further from from when she called out york for not knowing what the rubicon is that she's the one who's like actually smart and talented um (laughs) but for like her she just like doesn't get along with her parents as well and so she always feels kind of overlooked for york and is quick to kind of like not do what they want her to do because she's like well I won't get appreciation for it anyways. Yes. And yeah, and then we finally get sort of the follow-up, much in the same way that we get Yorick's follow-up in Safe Word, as you said. Uh, we get Hero's version of it, where right after she is basically being told we have to go help the people who are still alive, to which she says they can help themselves, which sort of becomes... A bit of hero's guiding mantra for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, she starts eventually... helping herself. Yeah, take some cat food. Yep. Yum, 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 yum. Gobble, <laughs> gobble it up like a fly. What? With, uh, you know, a semen Kleenex. Like in oh, safe like word. Flies. Yep. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> it's all coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and then we see her meeting Victoria, mm-hmm. to which she says, Queen Victoria? And then, you know, to which Victoria says, queens are a particular obsession of hers. So it all sort of interlocks in a way that... uh, chess. Yes. Weirdly, her defining character is that she loves chess. But yes, and which I I thought thought was like a, a fairly elegant way of sort of wrapping and threading together all of these sort of disparate plot points, like mm-hmm. Victoria's sort of mother-daughter relationship with Hero... Um, her, her chess obsession uh, and sort of why Hero latches onto her in this way. And then we get the more recent history where she gets out of Marisville. She is allegedly deprogrammed and is tasked by her mother with finding Yorick and Ampersand, only to which we discover that, in fact, she is not as deprogrammed as <laughs> you might hope. She is hearing and seeing visions of Victoria, mm-hmm. who is encouraging her to kill and do other bad things. <laughs> yes, to generally uh, misbehave, run around the yes. house with a pickle in her mouth, etc. Naturally. Naturally. Uh, she also meets baby Vladimir, who we learn is uh, Siba's son by um, Vladimir. <laughs> right? His father is also <laughs> named. Yeah. So we learn who the, who the, the other father guy. was at last. No. Named, oh, right. after, named after his late father. He's also oh, a very so. white-looking baby. Yeah, <laughs> so. I was going to say. I guess they would have known when the baby was born who the father was. But yes, yeah, so so we know that Hero is looking for York. 
at the direction of her mother, but she is still hearing voices, seeing images of Victoria and her ultimate intentions perhaps are unclear. She's not willing quite yet to murder babies (laughs) at the behest of these voices, but uh, Yorick's safety is not guaranteed. Yes, and then we get into Ring of Truth, which, as the name suggests, is about Yorick cheerleading at a basketball game. (laughs) A dream of his, apparently, to heckle the playoffs (laughs) like Spike. Like Spike. I mean, this is just a great bit. He's he's Uh, he's sort of he's he's the basketball. Yes, he's the basketball Mr. Matt is exactly what I was about to say as well. (laughs) He's got a giant smile on his face. (laughs) A cartoonishly large smile. He's running around very excitably. This is ostensibly a birthday present. (laughs) So it's really funny. (laughs) Where my former cheerleaders at? Yes, all manner of things, but Yorick's dream is apparently to harass a bunch of women <laughs> for daring to try and be involved in <laughs> athletics. Well, he readily admits that they're probably better at basketball than he is, which, uh, safe to say, <laughs> professional yes. basketball players are better at basketball than you. There's a great uh, panel at the end of this sequence where he says, there's not a woman alive who couldn't destroy me. And then in the background, <laughs> you see the Sitaket ring looming over his shoulder. Indeed. But the more important element of this uh, sequence, as the title suggests, is the titular ring, the ring that has been in Yorick's possession since the beginning of the series, his engagement ring to Bath. And so, yeah, so th- at this point, we're in San Francisco. Yes, at long last. We've, we've skipped forward a little bit. Dr. Mann is performing her tests and all that. Uh, Hero has also made it to the area and is hunting down yorick and ampersand toyota is also here again conversing with dr m mm-hmm. and then finally the sitaket ring arrives as well so this is a very vaughn thing <laughs> yes all all seven of his plot lines coalescing together yeah he sort of spends like 15 issues setting up a bunch of pieces and then five issues where he pulls them Knocking all together over and... the dominoes yeah exactly uh, yeah, I think it works a lot better here than it did in Swamp Thing, perhaps as a consequence of having had more time to introduce all the characters and get us invested in them. Not that Toyota is like fleshed out per se, but or Anna Strong <laughs> or or Anna Strong. But uh, yeah, I mean, Anna Strong, at least you have like the visceral dislike for from uh, from no, all you really know about her is she killed 7-Eleven. Therefore, we don't like her. Yes. Pr- presumably. Unless. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you felt about safe word. Yeah, true enough. But yeah, so finally the Sitakets ambush 355 and Yorick. 355 gets shot, correct? Is that when this happens or is that later? Uh, I believe it's a little bit later. No, this, it doesn't happen to her during this encounter. Um, they pull what they refer to as rice <laughs> by getting on a streetcar. But, and is this where, uh, well, yes, so Yorick, so this is where Yorick loses his ring. Yeah, yes, Yorick, Yorick loses his, uh, his ring and immediately begins to die, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yes, after taking his mask off. Well, yeah, after, he's wearing, after he's wearing yeah, a gas right. mask, they escape from this talking ring. We're looking for the amulet of Helen, which is what we see through D5 taking possession of at the very beginning of the series yeah um but yes as soon as he gets in 
into back to their lab slash apartment and takes his gas mask off. He immediately begins to collapse and vomits what appears to be blood. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly how I feel about this bit, but I knew like I mean, obviously it was going to be paid off in <laughs> I think an inherently unsatisfying way. Well, yeah, I'm I'm referring specifically to the appearing to vomit up blood and have it turn out to be tomato soup. That's pretty good, I think. <laughs> I'm iffy on it. It seems, I don't know, I'm iffy on it. Anyways. And then we sort of return to the well of Yorick being Having a genre dream. And having a genre-based dream sequence, yes. But yeah, so Yorick is in bad shape. Obviously, they assume that he is under the effects of the plague. We basically find out that... 355 doesn't really have any idea if the amulet has any significance at all, but is sort of desperate to hold on to it out of a sense of obligation. Yes, she. it, it was her last mission. She's sworn to deliver it. It's not really clear if anyone alive <laughs> cares or not whether or not she completes that mission, but she certainly cares. Yes, and certainly the Satoket ring cares because they are under the impression that it is, in fact, the true cause of the plague because as soon as... Much like the person who was holding it suggested, as soon as it was taken out of Jordan, there was a major <laughs> an event comparable to the Trojan War, as they say. Yes. Oh, yes. They end up in Candlestick Park for some reason. <laughs> yeah. She says to meet them there. I'm not sure why exactly, but... Just for, a, just for the bit, I think, <laughs> yeah. is pretty much the idea. <laughs> a theatrical streak in, uh, in Anna Strong, I suppose. Yes. And so once she takes possession of the amulet... She busts it with a baseball bat. Yeah, she says, swing bat a swing. Yes, she says, hey, hey, come on, come on, swing bat a swing. <laughs> What's going on with her? Oh, no, never mind. This is her eyeshadow. Yeah, it's is it eyeshadow or is it just shadow shadow? No, it's I'm eyeshadow. I'm almost certain it's eyeshadow. Her look for someone who is allegedly a former like government agent who has become like an a rogue element. More, yeah, um, like a super government agent. Um, her look is pretty wild. Yeah, to say the least. Um, but yeah, she smashes the amulet because she doesn't want anything, anyone to reverse this, basically. And then Hero, yes, so this is the sort of the sequence of everyone's coming together. Hero shows up because she's been tracking 355. And then at the same time, Toyota shows up at the lab where Dr. Man and Ampersand and Yorick are. So, so... She, Dr. Man threat, like thinks she hears Toyota and does, but isn't able to actually ever detect her. Yes. And her threat is that she has a concentrated sample of HIV that she will <laughs> use to stab an attacker. Which is not the first time that they have made some kind of reference to AIDS in that way. Like there's a in part where book? someone says... Yes, there's a part where someone says, I hope you get AIDS. Oh, yeah, Hero says, there's, I hope you both get AIDS to her. To uh, Yorick, Yorick says, the monkey that. has AIDS. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of like lot weird of AIDS, AIDS, like not even jokes exactly, just like references to AIDS as like a looming threat. Roughly contemporary with Team America World Police, right? <laughs> sure. A movie that prominently features a song titled Everybody Has AIDS. I think so. There's like, it's, now it's been... Yeah, I guess since, like this since is the point Team where, like, America, people start making jokes about AIDS. Yeah, it's I haven't seen Team America since it was in theaters, but I believe there is early on the main character is performing in like a parody of Rent, where they perform a <laughs> musical number titled "Everybody Has AIDS." That's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I will say. 
Anyways, I bring this up because do we think bluff for Dr. Man here or does she actually have an HIV sample there? I think definite bluff. Seems like a bluff move, but we never get clear indication that it's not. And she (laughs) does immediately put it away as soon as she realizes that (laughs) or or thinks that she realizes that it was just ampersand. It's true. She doesn't. uh, She's never quite sure. Um, But what she is sure very suddenly about is that uh, York has, in fact, been infected with botulism yeah the the sequence by which she reveals that she figured it out is crazy that she's like i saw the gas mask and then i realized you were being masked wink by blah 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 like science stuff about how it was actually ampersand wait that's not what happens is it? yes it is what he's like wait, no no that's that's later that's not the botulism oh, oh right right you're right that's, sorry that's that's, that's why she survived stuff. but i i link them so closely because she's like <laughs> aha you have botulism poisoning and then immediately is like wait a second <laughs> <laughs> she does make a few major breakthroughs over the course of uh a lot that that sort of two-hour stretch yes um but yeah she discovers that in fact yorick has eaten from a dented (laughs) can he was throwing up tomato soup so she knows how to cure him Uh, and at the same time we have emperor we have uh 355 and hero fighting off the satakit ring someone gets shot in the head hero gets shot Uh, in the shoulder 355 once again going buck wild on him she's really shining in these past few arcs yeah her 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 fighting spirit is very strong. And of course, she then breaks Anna Strong's neck. Yes. And leaves her like paralyzed on the ground. Hero then has the opportunity to shoot 55, but thankfully declines. Declines. Instead, uh, goes off to uh, help rescue Ampersand shortly. Well, I guess that's that's jumping ahead a bit. but Yes, it is. Because we haven't talked about this cover, which is ampersand looking through a test tube which is very good he's doing evil science there's a skeleton behind him not wearing armor sadly sadly no sword even. <laughs> not so much as a double-sided axe <laughs> but yes as you as you referred to earlier dr man has this breakthrough that there's something in ampersand's dna which when mingled with yorick's gave him this immunity to the virus so basically implying that there's some kind of fluke of it all basically whether ampersand was in some way genetically modified or he just happened to have this mutation but that's why but yeah the, the long and the short of it is the impact on yorick's character or or perception of himself in that he kind of thought even though he was like i'm not prepared for it i have some sort of epic destiny he now realizes is less to do with anything about him and more to do with the fact that he has been around ampersand this whole time yes it definitely changes i think his perception away from feeling even if he doesn't verbally express it certainly feeling like there's something special about him and that he has some kind of cosmically important mission to accomplish back to just being a guy who happened to be alive um and then 325 and hero return um and then basically in like one or two pages hero has this like dark knight of the soul reckoning yes um which i really went like that this could have been a whole issue yeah and I would have liked to see it because I think this is obviously a pretty important turning point for Hero as a character. Yeah. Where she basically, much like Yorick really, like reckons with the exists her sort of dark side and of her previous actions. She stabs the 
vision of Victoria who melts into a skeleton. <laughs> no armor. But army jacket. Army jacket, uh, oh, yeah. certainly. And and she gets stabbed with an arrow. So, you know, medieval yeah. weaponry is present. It's <laughs> true. We're, we're so close. We shoot a little more. Toyota shows up. The, yeah, this is just sort of, it, it gets a little long-winded maybe, but it, it, it it's paced pretty smoothly. Yeah. Well, we also skipped over that uh, Hero has a bunch of Polaroids with her, which none of which feature people smiling. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone looking very grim, I have to say. Yes, and then she takes that picture of Yorick later and says, "Like, oh, there you are. You're smiling, just like you, just like Mom will remember you." Yeah. And then in the picture, he is very clearly like grimacing. Maybe Pierre has problems with drunk smiles. He has to work through his feelings about Hero and about his new place in the world or lack thereof in light of what he has now learned about your um ampersand and of course 355 is there to walk him through it and not not make her move as perhaps we might expect but instead to encourage him that his new epic destiny is the same one that he originally thought it was which is to find beth and uh and uh, put that ring on it yes but when they return, they discover that Ampersand has just been made off with by Toyota. So he and 355 give chase. There's a pretty pretty great action scene yeah, here. Yeah, this, this is a good testament to Pia Guerra, who I, I dumped on her action a little bit uh, in, in the last episode. But this sequence, I think it really showcases how she's grown as an artist over the course of these, like, this this chunk of issues is more than a year and and by the time we get to the end we're closing in on like three years that the book has been running i think she's improved a lot in terms of like kind of the kinetic elements of her art like the dynamism and yeah the the fight between toyota and 355 katana versus baton is very good yes well the the baton and short sword combo yes it's the class. of course I mean, this is the kind of stupid stuff that we like, where it's like, one person has one weapon, another person has a different type of weapon, and how do their styles match up? <laughs> yes, we are addicted to it. Toyota... <laughs> it's uh, real Deadliest Warrior core. Yeah. <laughs> Toyota gives her her due respect for uh, making her work for it, and then slish slash, she was stabbing a back. Making a bash. Sure, that's actually better. I'll cut mine out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, leave it. We get a, another Vaughnism as well. The yep, sword is shot out of her hand. <laughs> the, the 99th uh, instance of someone having incredible accuracy. Well, no, we learned that in this case, well, yes, she was of course. I, this is a good subversion of a thing that he has done himself a million times. But it is funny to be like, uh, I was trying to shoot her in the head. Yes, but also like people getting their hand shot is such a Vaughn thing. Yes. There's a great spatang sound effect. There's a great line where Hero says rock beat scissors. There is. There's lots to love about this Golden Gate Bridge sequence. Yeah, it's it's, it's really cool. It's yeah, all in the very, rain as well. Very cinematic, yeah. Very yes. and very kind of like Sam or like Kung Fu movie like showdown to have it be like in the pouring rain on a deserted bridge. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it's good it's good stuff all around. And then it ends with sort of them having to choose whether they want to go after Ampersand or if they want to help 355. And obviously they make the choice to help 355. And so then he and Hero sort of have their reconciliation. Yes. She takes the aforementioned picture. <laughs> yes. 
And then, so so her, she is going to go back to Kansas, correct? Yes, that's correct. She's going to... to deliver these, like, this information or the antibodies. And, yeah, the, like, samples of, uh, of Ampersand's <laughs> stool. Right. The, the owner named Brown. Yeah. Um, so that hopefully she will one day... Or the child will one day be able to not be in the weird lab. Oh, uh, speaking of uh, Brown, we also totally glossed over that York says I made in my pants. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure we got that out. It's very true. He got that out, certainly. Oh. <laughs> um, and then we get the conclusion of this whole big arc and sort of the teaser for what's coming next, which is that, what's her name? Toyota they, has... They determine that Toyota has jumped a ship headed to... Yokogata, a city in Japan, which is where her mother lives. Uh, Dr. Man's mother, that is. Yes. Dr. Dr. Matsumori. Matsumori. Yes, which is... I thought it was going to be her father, but same idea. Yeah. Um, as soon as Toyota makes reference to being in contact with dr m you kind of i feel like it's hard not to make that connection yeah well certainly and certainly i think you're being encouraged to an extent to make that connection or or i guess i don't know maybe maybe he was trying to introduce an element of like ooh, maybe dr man is like a double agent i did think that as well as a possibility but i was like that just doesn't quite add up yeah it doesn't really jive with how she's been portrayed which is very much on the side of the angels other than the initial sort of like deception about yeah and i was gonna say that gets brought up at some point that we must have glossed over where we get an explanation a full explanation from dr man about the earlier reference that we talked about last episode where she sort of alludes to the fact that the kid was her daughter not a clone of her nephew as she previously states and that she had been cloning herself mm-hmm. and that it came out all messed up but that she oh this was this is during uh when she and 335 were both like kidnapped together yeah. which and she says that she did that because she wanted 355 to like her to which 355 says oh like like me like me yes so yeah that's also <laughs> that's also a thing that happens yeah um, but that is the yeah, conclusion. Yeah, I wonder if we we'll get any payoff for that. Well, I did see the title of the next trick <laughs> paperback. Uh, so I suppose we'll see. But yes, that is the conclusion of Ring of Truth. That is the conclusion of the issues that we have covered in this chunk. David, what were your thoughts on this series of issues? Like I said, uh, this is where the series, like, it, re- it kicks into high gear for me with one small step. But this whole section... Yeah, I just find really effective, really like eminently readable. It's a page turner, I suppose, is how I would how I would characterize it. And it seems like it probably like read well month to month too. Like I think part of why it's so readable is that whereas today most series are structured to be like trade paperback friendly uh, and like collected edition friendly. Not to say that this isn't structured in that specific way, but it's still in the like the era when monthly sales are really the goal and the main driver. And so I think part of what makes it such a page turner is that Vaughn is seeding like cliffhangers, basically, whether like emotional or plot or like, you know, actual physical danger, what have you. Every issue is kind of ending with giving you a reason to read the next issue. So yeah, I really like these issues. I flew through them 
after ha- like feeling somewhat frustrated that I had to stop last week, I again felt frustrated that I I didn't want to just immediately dive into the next batch of issues because uh, I want them to be like relatively fresh when we record. But I like I did already read like the next three issues because <laughs> I was just like, it's too good. I can't stop. Yeah, what you said there about the cliffhangers was it wasn't something I'd thought about, but it's actually something that they reference on the back cover of one of the trades in one of the like pull quotes where it says here it is from columbus alive (laughs) it says vaughn brings us a burning suspense out of the scenario drop by drop helped by the serialized format of comics leaving readers to figure out what happens next and why nails prepare to be bitten (laughs) yeah according to all the nails out there I, i think he is really good and like has really hit his stride it's it's like we were saying in the last episode, this is very much like the evolutionary version of the writer who we saw in Swamp Thing, who, again, as we've said, subtlety is not his his strongest attribute necessarily, but he's learned how to leverage the things that he does well to make it so that like you don't really miss the subtlety. You're kind of like just along for the ride and the fact that it's sort of nonstop like spine tingling suspense and and thrills like the whole way through even even when it gets like quieter it's still like he still finds ways to always make you want to like go on to the next issue which in some ways like i i don't know being a being an english student uh in like my theory courses we always or not always but there was lots of talk about the difference between a story and a plot uh where the story is about like is is the more kind of like literary thing where it gets at like the character motivations and understanding who the characters are and the thematic everything and blah 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 whereas the plot is just like the very base level like what happens next and i think the story is good but as a plotter we've really seen at this point vaughn is like at his at the the height of his powers so to speak and he's very good at making you go like what happens next and be interested in following along just at that kind of like base level and the benefit of having this 60 issue series is that he has lots of space to explore the the story as well and the like get to know the characters and expound on all the themes that he wants to while still really really showcasing what a master he is of plotting as well yeah and i think for me one of the big things that i i thought was an improvement over the first set of issues that we read because i did really like these as well it felt like he was digging into a lot more interesting thematic territory without ever losing the the plotting angle you know there was there were some sort of thematic elements going on but there's nothing as overt or in-depth as the stuff that's in safe word and tongue of flames as well like the way that they sort of talk about the nature of religion and how the plague and the sort of up upending of the gender hierarchy hierarchy (laughs) changes that whole situation as well um, and I, I like that he is sort of taking different snapshots of different elements of society and sort of digging into how this has affected more more specific territory rather than just the world as a whole and sometimes feeling like he was getting a little a little lost in that. Yeah, I, I think like he always had that ambition in Swamp Thing and and obviously in the early issues of Why as well, but I'm not yeah it's it's just interesting to think that we're already like we're we're just halfway through the series and it's already a much longer series than Swamp Thing 
And I think... Oh, which is crazy. Yeah, it, it is kind of crazy. But I, I was contrasting the two series as well, kind of going back to what I was talking about with the readability of the issues and how, like, when we did the second Swamp Thing episode, we recorded, like, much later in the day than we usually do because I had to, like, force myself through <laughs> the last, <laughs> the last like, seven or eight issues. Whereas, like, these yeah. ones, I, like, can't, can't stop reading them. And obviously part of that is, as we've already talked about, kind of how he's developed as a writer of plots. But I think that the same ambitions to talk about those themes are present in Swamp Thing, but in part perhaps because of the space, but more because I think of his development as a writer and his growth, uh, and probably to an extent like the collaboration of, of Pia Guerra, like the the fact that she like kind of planted the seed for Safe Word. I'm not sure how much of the of what it became she had influence in but it certainly is one that that he and gara both point to a fair bit as like somewhere where they collaborated quite a bit i think she does bring out the best of him in the ways that his swamp thing collaborators weren't necessarily and yeah it's it's been interesting to see how even though i think he was taking like just as big swings with wanting to like say something about our world in Swamp Thing, it's just much more effective in why. Yeah, I think so as well. And I, I I was going to think maybe it's because it goes more like personal level, but Swamp Thing does attempt to do that as well. Like obviously not the whole book isn't just about like the world as a whole or even like the president like it is in the last arc of Swamp Thing. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think I I just think the whole setting and the central sort of conceit is a lot more interesting than Swamp Thing, which I do think is an interesting angle. Yeah. Like the Tefe's sort of back and forth, yeah. not being able to decide which side of the coin to land on. Yeah, but, but also... Yeah, Swamp Thing is just handcuffed from the get-go by like the continuity of it all and like what yeah. a convoluted and complicated premise it is. Yeah, and also, like like you said, like I'm pretty sure it's taken me as long to read these 30 issues of why. Uh, as it did to for me to read the last ten issues of Swamp Thing. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it in addition to how he's grown as a plotter, his dialogue is also a lot sharper. And like you know, we still run into some of those clunky moments, and and we've like stopped to talk about pretty much all of them as they come up. Like he's not up like totally perfect like naturalistic dialogue writer per se, but no, I definitely wouldn't call him naturalistic. Yeah, but but I think he has like improved a lot in terms of like now he's got a handle on the style and instead of it like it's a lot slicker in some ways and it it just makes like it goes down smooth <laughs> yeah it's it's uh it's paladino-esque <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's that is a good comparison yeah so so it's it's like certainly not naturalistic but it's fun to read it's it's snappy like it's witty it makes you laugh i think he does a good job of like hitting the emotional beats i think he's very lucky to have pia guerra who's like a great performer as an artist so to speak who who like really render performance yeah like she carries those silent panels like not it's not always easy to tell what is intended to come across in a silent panel, especially if the beat isn't a comedic one. And like, like we're in the same way, like that in a movie, if there's a section without dialogue, we have to kind of infer what the character is thinking or feeling based on the performance. That's a lot harder in comics when you often only get one panel. So you have to crystallize it into like this one moment to communicate what is going on in the character's mind, what they're thinking, what they're feeling. 
And I think that Gera has been good at it since the start, but we already talked about how, you know, she also has like visibly grown over the course of these these issues and yeah i think he's very fortunate to be paired up with her as someone who can do that really well yeah what you said about those beat panels is very interesting because i think that gets back to again we're back in the gutters as they say Mm -hmm. that you can't render or well i mean there are some ways as scott says but it's hard to render a period of silence because you are only showing you can only show one snapshot and one expression within that panel and so i think being able to render the emotional resonance of those moments effectively in what's often a single panel i guess you can you know do the scop thing of expanding it into a whole page or whatever things like that yeah but 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 i think like it's a testament like i'm thinking again of the like other beth sequence where she tells the story of like crashing the plane and how only three women survived and like it's it's well written for sure and like i think you know a certain amount of credit goes to vaughn for choosing not to have that communicated through dialogue and the degree to which that captures that it's like a thing that's too painful for her to speak about but i think that gara just i mean and also that that could have been her decision as well i feel like yeah well yeah and i think i think the way that she renders it like i don't i can visualize it very cinematically of her like trying to like speak to answer or or like maybe not trying to speak per se but like having to kind of like push through her own pain to even communicate like by by fingers the impact that it's had on her and that's what takes it from being like wow that would suck to a sequence that's like oof like just uh, just hits you know yes oofa doofa as beth would say <laughs> would she say that does she say oofa doofa at some point she's, she says whoa oh right she does say whoa and if someone says whoa it's probably safe to assume they would say oofa doofa <laughs> they're the same family of expressions but yes, I think that'll I think that just about does it for uh our discussion. And I believe Well, hold on, we've got some awards talk. Well, that's to, what uh, I was gonna say. I believe that based on I saw the cover of the sixth trade paperback of Y, and let me just uh have a look at it here now, because I believe what it says on it is Yes, winner of the Eisner Award for Best Writer, Brian K. Vaughn. Yes, in 2004, which would have been for for the the year 2003 and would have been like up until I think partway through uh, or close to the end of One Small Step, absolutely nothing, which is uh, a little, uh, I mean, I guess I get it. Um, Like Cycles is not the strongest. He got a a new series. He got a best new series in 2003, uh, which would have been for like probably the first, the first arc basically, and maybe the first issue of Cycles. But yeah, I don't I don't think Cycles is the strongest arc, and I'm not super surprised that he gets nothing Eisner-wise. But at the Harveys, he is nominated for Best Writer, loses to Chester Brown, who at that point is working on his Louis Riel uh, biography comic. So no, no, no hardware for 2004. For 2005 at the Harveys, he is unnominated. Uh, the whole book is unnominated. But at the Eisners, we have four nominations. He is nominated, or well, the book is nominated for Best Serialized Story for Safe Word. It is nominated for Best Continuing Series. He, of course, wins uh, for Best Writer for Why the Last Man. Ex Machina has started up at this point, and he's also continuing to work on Runaways at Marvel. So he's kind of got a bit of a, a murderer's row of books that is uh, is pretty tough to uh, to argue against his competition oh, yeah so so wait so when does runaways start i believe runaways starts in early 2004 and ex machina starts in like mid to late 2004 
Whoa. So so is he at some point he's doing all three of those books simultaneously? 2004, baby. <laughs> um, I was I was surprised. I thought he started Ex Machina like as Y was right winding down for some reason. I'm not sure like that doesn't make sense when I think about the math of like the number of issues and that kind of thing. But because like when I started getting into comics, like I think I owned the last arc of Ex Machina in single issues. It was coming out like right around the time that I got into comics like monthly, which was like 2010. But yeah, for owned some the last arc. For some reason, I thought that Ex Machina started way later in the run. But yeah, 2004, he was working on Why the Last Man, Ex Machina, and Runaways all at the same time, which is a little crazy. Yes. Did you hear what I said though? <laughs> Why the Last Man more like owns the last arc. Yeah, got it. Oh, sorry. And those are the only three. Uh, the only three nominations. But for best writer, he beats out Bill Wilmingham for Fables, Joss Whedon for Astonishing X Men, Greg Rucka for Queen and Country and Gotham Central, and Steve Niles for Thirty Days of Night, a bunch of Thirty Days of Night books, basically, and uh, and a couple of other. Was things that, that a comic on. before it was a movie? Yes, it was. Hmm. Cool. Which honestly, incredible slate, like all all great runs. Yeah, like I think we talked about this in the last episode, like sort of this like mid two thousands, I guess early two thousands, but sort of came of age in the mid two thousands, like run of really good stuff yeah. all happening at the same time. Yeah, I really want to do Greg Rucka at some point, but he has so much material. <laughs> yeah, I know. have to be a pretty a pretty selected. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know when we're gonna do it. Did you see the uh, tab that I've added to our planning document about uh, proposed future creators with the breakdowns? No. Oh, interesting. I put some Hickman in there and it's like <laughs> it's like 35 episodes. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, you know, if we have but, to do it. But uh there's also some fat in there that could be trimmed for sure cuz I included like some of his his I mean, early independent series that are like if we're following the rules that we laid out in episode 0, we should probably skip most of those. Right. I mean, there's also no like Age of X in here. Well, uh, yeah. You're thinking, of course, of House <laughs> of X and Powers of Ten. Yeah, Whatever. the the problem with that is, and you'll see. I, I don't know. We could we potentially can cut all this, but the challenge <laughs> with him is that what he really loves to do is be writing two series or more at the same time, where they intersect all the time, and then eventually get to the point where you actually have to be reading like alternating issues of different series to get the. <laughs> Get the... That was certainly the impression I got with the two X-Men series. Yeah, uh, so that is true of his Fantastic Four run, that is true of his Avengers run, and it's very true of his X-Men run, which other than House of X and Powers of Ten, I have like not even waded into because the reading order <laughs> feels so complicated that... I'm just waiting for them to like collect it in a <laughs> in a way that will make it relatively easy to follow and and also to like kind of get the there's so many X-Men books running right now in like conjunction with his run that I'm basically just waiting for the consensus on what's good before I wade into too much of it. But by the time we got around to him, we probably would have to do some of his X-Men stuff too. Yeah. I mean, that's also the challenge of like I feel like <laughs> we're we're somewhat on record as having uh maybe crib some of this idea from blank check and if we're going by blank check rules the idea of going back to a creator like if a creator were to come up with something new having to cover that as well well yeah see my this is why i set the rules in in episode zero of saying basically like if we're going to cover an ongoing work, it needs to have like at least 25 issues out or we're not going to touch it until it's, uh, right. until it gets a little further down the line. Right. Anyways, 
Did you open the image that I sent in the chat? I didn't even see that you sent an image in the chat. Let me just pop over here. I have <laughs> to somewhat, download uh, this. <laughs> it's somewhat relevant to why the last man. PBF checkmate private. If I Google this, will I get what I'm after instead of having Probably, to download yeah. this? Yeah. I mean, it's just an image. Okay, I'm opening it up. <laughs> and we'll just, I think we'll just leave that a mystery. Uh, <laughs> that this people, is can, very, people uh, can discover on their own. Very bone-hurting juicy. <laughs> yes. Um, classic PBF. I love it so much. Uh, what's what's your all-time number one PBF? Oh, there's. Um, I really like the the one with the witch. Okay. Where, <laughs> wait, hold on. Oh, here it is. It's called the treat. <laughs> I'm linking it to you now. Okay. These will all be. These will all go unrevealed. Of course. And that for people to read it on their own. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think about a lot. Uh. <laughs> Uh, my favorite, of course, is Scub. Scub. You don't know Scub? I mean, I'm I'm sure I've read all of them, but I'm looking here. It's like a, it's a pretty early one, I think. What? <laughs> I'm not sure I understand this. Oh, I've as like a person who talks about comic books online, Scub is a comic I think about a lot. <laughs> <laughs> two, two, yeah, two guys fighting passionately over something that is totally bland and inoffensive and not not worthy. And it's just the, sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair uh love love me some scub anyways um that's it i didn't uh, i didn't look at sales uh because i forgot but i assume that they are continuing to <laughs> climb <laughs> yeah i i assume by the time we get to the end of uh of ring of truth we're in very solid position i would imagine i'm gonna so. i'm gonna see if i can find it quickly just yep. for the sake of interest my own <laughs> personal you... <laughs> interest feel free to wrap up well if you can supply the information before i uh before i close the show then you can share it and otherwise much like the treat and primate checkmate people will have to look these up themselves <laughs> but thank you everyone for listening as always um our next episode will be issues 32 to 48 it's hefty, but we'll be gearing up to, for the end of Y, which is also exciting. Wait, we're doing 32 to 48? That's what so you doing, said, buddy. We're just doing 49 to 60? That's a pretty short last That's run. That's what you That's said, okay. Buddy. I'll need a long time to talk about the last issue. So. <laughs> <laughs> Much like Zot. Yeah, true. <laughs> we'll be going, we'll be going issue by issue <laughs> in the last episode. Well, I don't think we'll need to go issue by issue, but the I last know. like the last issue for sure we're going to talk about for a long time and the events of like the whole last arc require some dissection for sure. I would imagine so. But um yes, Please remember to eviscerate and acclimate <sighs> on I iTunes. I don't think I understand this bit. <laughs> the bit is just that it's anything doing... other than like rate, review, and subscribe. Yeah, it's just verbs. Uh-huh. That's also it's, there's a little bit of uh, Clyde Fraser in there. I mean, if you want to go yeah. freaking York style, don't forget to bait, review, and subscribe. <laughs> I was I thought about making some <laughs> reference to bone marrow. <laughs> Uh, listen to this podcast until Bomero's coming into your ears. Uh, anyways, Why the Last Man 31 sold 25,837 <laughs> oh, no. copies. Good for it. Yep. 
uh, being outsold by runaways quite handily i must say well you know what can you do and we'll be reviewing the runaways tv series correct oh. <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> i said watched it. That? i haven't watched it I, and people seem to like it so i don't know why i instinctively groaned but <laughs> i have to admit i don't have any interest in doing that <laughs> it's only 33 episodes could be good uh, it could be anyways and of course until next time i'm trying i just tried to remember what we always say at the end to, to be, be continued. <laughs> Flawless. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.